All right, huge show today. We are going to get into all the latest. The White House omitting a case, KBJ, over 6,500 files of child pornography. Then we're going to break down all the latest and greatest when it comes to Ukraine, when it comes to Hunter Biden. We're going to go back to the laptop. We are going to explain Burisma, everything else. Before we do, I want to remind you guys of some stuff that's going on with Turning Point USA. So go and check this out. Debate night, the latest one that just dropped, Charlie Kirk, Buck Angel, Porn Culture, and the Trans Agenda, tpusa.com slash debate night next the young women's leadership summit is coming up june 2nd to 4th dallas texas get your tickets go and reserve them now you can use promo code poso on that by the way tpusa.com slash ywls ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard today's edition of human events daily powered by turning point usa today's top headlines First, the White House omitted a Katanji Brown Jackson case of over 6,500 files of child pornography. We'll get into that next. Ukraine says Russia has now partially withdrawn from the Kiev area. Third, we're going to break down a little bit of just what is the Biden-Ukraine connection, because it's been a long time since we've actually gone through all this, almost two years since the laptop dropped. And then finally, speaking of that laptop, the FBI cyber chief has admitted that he doesn't know where the Hunter Biden laptop is. All this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. We are going to treat a person who's distributed a thousand a lot worse because that shows that this person is really engaged in this really horrible behavior. In comes the internet. On the internet, with one click, you can receive, you can distribute tens of thousands. You can be doing this for 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, you are looking at 30, 40, 50 years in prison. Good. Cut. Good. I understand. Absolutely Senator, good. I hope you are. To do good. Allow her to finish, please. I hope you go to jail for 50 years. If you're on the Internet trolling for images please. of children and sexual exploitation. So, so you don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a that's horrible not thing. That's what the witness said. And she should be allowed to answer this question once and for all. So that, of course, was Katanji Brown Jackson at her hearing last week. Now, we also heard early this morning that it looks as though Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine is going to be jumping ship and actually voting, crossing the aisle to vote for KBJ. So that would be a bipartisan vote for KBJ. We've also heard Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, uh, known as a swing Democrat, a moderate Democrat, has also said that he is more than likely going to vote for KBJ. So that means at this point, it looks as though this confirmation is a lock. If you've got these swing senators going for her, it doesn't seem like you're going to pick off enough senators. And remember, of course, the, the uh, balance of power, it's 50-50 in the Senate right now with the vice president, Kamala Harris, being the one for a tiebreaker if there is a 50-50 vote. So that means that you would need 51 against in order to essentially stop the nomination. You need a simple majority for a Supreme Court nominee. It looks like it's going to happen. That means that KBJ is going to be on the Supreme Court for probably the next 30 to 40 years. The same 30 to 40 years that we were just talking about. But now we've got information, this comes to us by way of foxnews.com, that the White House omitted 
a light Jackson child porn sentence in documents given to senators. The GOP has said they've called it a cover-up. What was this case? Remember, we heard again and again in these hearings that it was seven cases. There were seven cases of child pornography, child pornography abusers, distributors, traffickers. What was this case? It turns out there was actually an eighth. And this came up as people were digging through her cases on the docket. This case, a grisly, described as grisly, a child pornography case in which Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson departed significantly below probation office recommendations. So this is now, instead of seven out of seven, now you've got eight out of eight cases. What was it? U.S. v. Kane, over 6,500 files depicting children appearing to be of elementary, middle, and high school ages engaged in sexual acts or posing sexually. The probation office recommended a sentence of 84 months in the case, but Jackson sentenced the man to 60 months in prison, which was the mandatory minimum, the bare minimum. Again, eight out of eight cases. And this one, um, the Kane case, came up while she was on the bench and yet did not, it was not included, in the cases that the White House brought over. It was not handed over. Now they say the question was uh, inadvertent. They said the omission was, well, we're sorry, we forgot to include it, we didn't want to include it. You knew that these cases were going to be the centerpiece of the confirmation hearings, you knew this. But you also gotta point out that this is on the minority on the Senate side as well, because it's their due diligence right, to put the vetting of this, uh, of this judge up through. So if you know that she's got eight cases, you gotta go through all her cases, guys. Look, I think that in this situation, it's a done deal. I think that one of the issues really with this is that they spent a lot of time on her record, as they should, but they didn't get this eighth case early on in all of this. And more importantly, it seems like there was more of a media push rather than actually working on these swing senders. Now, if you're someone who's on the conservative side, you actually care about these issues, you want these, these child pedophiles, people that are preying on the most innocent and vulnerable in our society to be locked up, those are the people, those are the groups that you should have talking to these swing senators. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see these advocate groups. I didn't see conservatives working with them. I didn't see them bringing up this stuff. And so guys, look, when you know, and this, this nomination had been going on for months, right? This was not like a last minute thing. And yet it came up to be a last minute thing. Probably the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that I could say in terms of all of this, NBC poll last week, down in the crosstabs of it, it said that 56% of Americans didn't know the name of KBJ and didn't have an opinion on her. Whose fault is that on? That's on all of our politicians' fault for not explaining who this person is that's going to be sitting now on our highest court in the land. Early this morning, the former president of Russia, Dmitry Medvedev, came out and stated that the era of global reserve currency is over and that the era of regional currency is coming. What does that mean? That means that the U.S. dollar is in a fragile state. Not only has the Biden administration and the Fed been printing and spending, but we now see on the horizon potential catastrophe for the U.S. dollar. And that is why I recommend that you diversify with gold and silver now. And the only company I recommend is Allegiance Gold. My friends at Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver or have it delivered securely right to your door. They will educate you on the benefits of physical gold because they care and want to build a long-term relationship. 
Allegiance Gold has the highest rating from third-party consumer protection agencies. Five stars with TrustLink. They're AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance and have an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. You get $500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them the POSO sent you. So do not wait. Go there directly today. Go to AllegianceGold.com slash POSO. We cannot control world events. We cannot control the Biden administration, but we can prepare our families to be financially secure. Go to AllegianceGold.com slash POSO. Look, we've seen the Russians make claims of peace over and over again and do something differently. So at the moment, we are seeing some of their uh, forces move out of the areas around Kiev and out of Chernovy. Uh, we see this more as a repositioning rather than a withdrawal. We fully expect them to, to use those forces again elsewhere in Ukraine. Um, but we'll obviously be watching very, very closely. So as far as helping the negotiations, this does not help the negotiations because, in fact, they are not pulling back. Of course they're not. And, you know, they are also all over southern and eastern Ukraine as well. And they're continuing to pound Mariupol. They are continuing to pound uh, Kherson and all of those towns uh, in extremely inhumane ways. So that's Victoria Newland. You guys remember her from her biolabs testimony, right? Oh, no, the biolabs that don't actually exist, but maybe do, but maybe you're just research. But don't you dare call them weapons. They're just pathogens, right? It's definitely not dual use. We shouldn't ask any questions about Victoria Newland's testimony under oath, by the way, with Marco Rubio and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee just a few weeks ago. But Victoria Nuland's up there, and this has become the new political football, this talking point of did the Russian military fail to take Kiev or are they withdrawing troops because they're planning a real target, planning to, for, to focus on the real target in the east, that area of Donbass, and the area that they've already taken in the north and south, Kharkiv and Kherson. And so a lot of people are looking at this and saying, oh, so the Russians have come out and said, well, we're going to drop this as a sign of good faith, these combat operations around Kiev. But the United States is saying, well, hold on, wait a minute. This could just be a redeployment of, of combat troops to a, ver to a different region. And so when I'm looking at this and pointing out that this isn't some new military tactic. This is actually a classic military strategy. It's called feint. Right. And you see this. If you ever played a game of chess with Russians, you would know that this is a classic strategy. You, it's a fake out. You make the opponent think that you're coming straight for the king while your, your true focus is actually elsewhere. So that's what we've seen. These types of maneuver warfare in terms of being able to fix the Ukrainian forces um, who, who in this situation, by the way, are obviously larger than, than Russia's invasion force, you've been able to split their forces to make them defend more of the territory. And, you know, so much has been made of saying that Russia is a bigger country than Ukraine. Of course, it's a bigger country, but Ukraine is an extremely large country. I think people miss this point. That's why we show the map so often that if you put it on terms of the United States, it would stretch from New York City all the way to Chicago. Massive, massive country. And so what Russia is doing now, they're drawing away pressure from Kiev because they want to complete what? That encirclement of those troops, those 50,000 or as many as we know are on the ground still in what's called the Southern Cauldron in the east around Donbass. And as we remember, this has always been what the Russians said that their focus was. They, they said this was essentially a civil war that they wanted to uh, intervene in. They wanted to get these Donbass breakaway republics and then pull them away, talk, um, call them separatists, you know, work together with them, intervene. And then, of course, 
also connect that land bridge from Crimea to these republics. We're also seeing what's coming down in the north. So the diplomatic talks have been going on, and we are very positive about the diplomatic talks. We want diplomacy. We want ceasefires. We want security guarantees from both sides. Um, they, one of the talks out there, one of the points I think is very strong, by the way, from the Ukrainian side, is they said they want a security guarantee which brings in Europe, the United States, and Russia. So you would have all three sides coming to a security guarantee for the country of Ukraine, but Ukraine itself would remain neutral and, and stay, essentially stay out of NATO. Now, one of the questions that's still on the table is um, they're bringing up again that the Ukrainian diplomats, the Ukrainian negotiators, are saying they want EU membership. And I still think that the jury is out on whether that's something that would be amenable for the Russians to agree to, because when you're looking at that situation, EU membership itself does have inherent security guarantees. It also creates a visa system through the Schengen uh, zone, whereby in the essentially it would push the EU border all the way up directly to the border with Russia. This is something that doesn't exist at this point because the EU border is between Poland, um, the various southern Central European countries like uh, Hungary, Romania, Ukraine. So those two countries, Belarus and Ukraine, are now between the EU and Russia. So you would really lose that buffer state status, at least in terms of the economic block of the EU. So it remains to be seen whether or not Russia would be amenable to that. I think that would be a huge ask. Um, I think it would be uh, in the interest, obviously, of the Ukrainian people. But again, it remains to be seen whether or not it's in the security interest for this to come down. But when it comes to these troop withdrawals, I think the better way to look at it really is this is a classic Russian chess move. It was deception. Remember, we talked about how they were constantly um, threatening an amphibious invasion of the city of Odessa right there on the port. Threatening it, pulling back. Threatening it, pulling back. Sending in amphibious landing ships, pulling them back. Why did they keep doing this? Simple. That required Ukraine to maintain a military force fixed in position in Odessa. They did this in Kiev as well. At the same time, they were conducting strong military operations and cleanup operations now in the city of Mariupol in the far east. Again, we are describing what's going on on the ground. We wish this war had never happened. We don't want any of these wars to happen. But... We are not going to lie to you. We're going to tell the truth about what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. If there's anything we know from watching the news lately, it's that world events can overcome us, that we live in a real world. We live in a world where emergencies happen, where catastrophes happen. How do you deal with that? You prepare for it. You do not realize the peace of mind that comes when you become fully prepared, not just financially, but also personally for you and your family. And that is how I felt when I opened the MyFAC from MyMedic. MyMedic was born when a tragic car accident claimed the life of a family member from this company. Bystanders and more, uh, no first aid supplies or training, watched and waited 25 minutes helplessly for emergency medical personnel to arrive. And when they did, it was too late. Too many of us are unprepared for emergencies. Look. I served in the military. I've had basic TCCC trap, uh, tactical combat casualty care. My medic's goal is to empower you to have the skills and knowledge and first aid supplies to save a life. The MyFact Pro is not your typical box of bandages. It comes with over 100 high-quality first aid and trauma supplies, including a tourniquet, chest seals, quick clot, and more. With this kit, you'll be more prepared to treat everything that happens to your family. You can throw it in the trunk of your car. So how do you secure yours? Go to MyMedic.com slash POSO and get 25% off plus a free life-saving online course with promo code POSO. My Medic kits are built 
in the USA, they're guaranteed for life. MyMedic.com slash POSO. You can save a life. I, I, I was, not I, I, but it just happened to be, that was the assignment I got. I, I, I got all the good ones. Uh, and uh, so I got Ukraine. And uh, um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, right, I guess the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours." If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> got fired. Well, that was Vice President at the time, Biden, talking all about how he got the general prosecutor of Ukraine fired. He was bragging about it, the Council of Foreign Relations. He actually flew to Kiev at the time and demanded that the former president, Petro Poroshenko, who was the president prior to Zelensky, fire this prosecutor. And now it's gone back and forth and back and forth for several years now over why this prosecutor was fired and why the West wanted this guy gone so much. They say that the prosecutor himself was corrupt, but many other people say that the prosecutor was digging in to this, this company, the state-owned enterprise or state-affiliated enterprise, Burisma Gas Holdings, the same company where at the time Vice President Biden's son was a board member. And when you read the fact checks that have come out about this thing, they try to act like this whole thing is debunked, but it actually wasn't, right? They say the fact check comes out. I read them all yesterday. I went back and double checked on this stuff because I wanted to talk about this segment. The fact checks just say, well, there was an investigation into the owner of Burisma, Mikola Zlachevsky, this, this oligarch guy, but actually the stuff they were investigating was before Hunter Biden was on the board and therefore it couldn't affect anything directly with Hunter Biden. But you see the weasel words there, right? Right. Understand what's going on. And we've got emails explaining all of this. We've got emails that the New York Post, of course, originally posted all the way back October 14th, 2020. What did it say? It was an executive of Burisma thanking Hunter Biden for introducing him at a meeting with his father, right? What was the point of all of this? Burisma Gas Holdings was under investigation because the oligarch who was the, the owner of the company, this guy is Lachevsky, was also the Minister of Natural Resources for the country of Ukraine. And then he was giving these mineral rights, these mineral deeds to a company that he himself owned, right? So you understand the obvious corruption there. So the other oligarchs started getting upset with him. The anti-corruption people start getting upset with all of this. They want this investigated. And then, so what does the company do? Well, they know that their country, this current government of Ukraine, has a lot of ties to the United States and is getting a lot of money through the IMF, which the U.S. also obviously has a lot of influence with. So what do they do? They hire the son of the vice president, put him on their board. And then we've also got emails from the lobbyists that Hunter Biden hired where they were saying their top goal was to get influence from their Washington, D.C. contacts 
to make these politically motivated attacks go away for Burisma inside Ukraine. That was, uh, that was April of 2015. So in April of 2015, we've got the email talking about making these political attacks go away. December of 2015, Vice President Biden goes to Ukraine and says, we want this guy fired, the general prosecutor of Ukraine. Now, you can play all of the semantics games you want about whether or not it was direct investigation into Hunter. But the point is, it looks like they were selling access to U.S. foreign policy decisions. And on its face, it's obviously corrupt. It is self-evidently corrupt because this is clearly an example of the son of one of the most powerful families and politicians in the United States getting rich, $83,000 a month, in order to enact U.S. political foreign policy in the world, which obviously led us to this dangerous war and the crisis that everything is in right now. I want to know where Hunter Biden's laptop is. Where is it? Sir, I don't know that answer. That is astonishing to me. Is, has, has FBI cyber assessed whether or not Hunter Biden's laptop could be a point of vulnerability, allowing America's enemies to hurt our country? Sir, the FBI cyber program is based off of what's codified in Title 18 or um, Title 18, Section 1030, a code which talks about computer intrusions, right, using nefarious intent. Network well, you've talked about passwords here. I mean, Hunter Biden's password on his laptop was Hunter 02. He drops it off at a repair store. I'm holding the receipt from Max Computer Repair, where in December 2019, they turned over this laptop to the FBI. And what now you're telling me right here is that as the assistant director of FBI Cyber, you don't know where this is after it was turned over to you three years ago. Yes, sir, that's an accurate statement. Congressman Gates doing the Lord's work there. So he's now put a copy of the Hunter Biden hard drive, a.k.a. the hard drive from hell, into the congressional record. And, of course, the FBI, the head of cyber there, doesn't even know where the laptop is, doesn't even know where their copy of it is. Because keep in mind, all the stuff that we've seen on this, all the stuff that I've seen on this, and I've seen some pretty heinous stuff on this thing. Raheem Kassam, by the way, my great friend Raheem Kassam, was more than happy to go click by click by click by click through this thing and show me everything in grisly detail. And absolutely, it is grisly detail. Not only is there criminal activity on there, there's certainly activity that appears to be um, in violation of state crimes, to put it uh, mildly, in the state of Delaware. And so that's why early on, a copy of this was turned over not only to the FBI, but to local Delaware police, I believe in Newcastle, Delaware. But the bigger issue here is, this is one of the times where, I remember looking at this, right? Hunter Biden films himself again and again talking about all of these things. He says, oh, my family doesn't give me any respect. They go to their state dinners. They give all these speeches, but I'm the one who does all the work. I'm the one who makes all the money and they get all the credit, but I'm the one that keeps this family financially sound. He's complaining about it, videotaping himself. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> uh, I used to work in the IC. Uh, I knew a lot of guys for the FBI. Believe me, they don't usually get suspects who just film confessions on their laptops and then have all the evidence handed to them, right? They're not used to situations like that. And I guarantee you the only reason that we haven't seen a grand jury come down on all of this yet, and apparently there is a grand jury out there, 
and we're going to dig more into that and find out what's going on. But the reason that this hasn't happened earlier is because Hunter Biden's last name is Biden. Same token, by the way, of course, he would never have been in this position in the first place if his name, you know, if his name were just like Hunter Johnson or something, right? You know, he wouldn't have been able to be in a position to make all these deals. And that's something, by the way, people need to understand that when you dig through the emails and text messages, because his iMessages were, um, were synced to the cloud, so they're all on the hard drive, this was a family operation. It was understood that Hunter Biden's money was family money. When Jill Biden, um, or you know, at the time, Vice President Biden were asking money to be sent around. It was understood that he would that Hunter would pay bills, that Hunter would send these, you know, those prepaid debit cards, things like that. He would send them out to the people as he was directed by other members of the family. So that's why when I talk about this, I talk about it as the Biden family corruption operation because that's what it was. This was the money going in through Hunter Biden in his name as the bag man and then being dispersed as they saw fit. And that's all the time we have for Human Events Daily today. Remember, our promise, our oath, our solemn vow to you, be good, be brief, be gone, your homework for us. Share this out with one of your normie friends and leave us your five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you receive your podcast. What did we talk about today? The White House omitting Johnson case of over 6,500 files of child pornography. Ukraine says Russia is now partially withdrawn from Kiev, but is it a feint or is it a redeployment? Next, we broke down the Biden-Ukraine connection, and in the end, we talked about uh, Congressman Gates questioning the FBI cyber chief over the whereabouts of the Hunter Biden laptop. Before we go, today's history break. Today in 1981, the failed assassination attempt. Ronald Reagan, John Hinckley shot him coming out of a hotel only two months after his inauguration. Imagine how history could have been changed if his bullet, if his aim had been a little more fatal. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.